You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Easter Sunday is the greatest day in history. Today we join with the billions of Christians around the world who believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead changes everything. Amen? Amen. Easter is a day full of hope and joy, and yet if we think back to that very first Easter Sunday, the day didn't quite start out that way. I want you to imagine, to take you back to that place where the disciples are scared and scattered. They've locked their doors for fear that their lives would be next. I mean, put yourself in the Apostle Peter's situation, where his final interactions with his Lord and Savior was in the courtyard, and he had denied him three times as he watched his friend be brutally beaten, all sorts of false accusations hurled at him. Or think of the Apostle John, who was one of the few disciples who was left at the cross. Everyone else had scattered. And so he's had to be the one to retell those same events, the crown of thorns, the nails in his hands and feet, the spear through his side, the earthquake, the hours of darkness. So the Apostle John on Easter Sunday morning is possibly tottering between totally emotionally numb or PTSD from having to relive the horrific events of the cross so many times. On Easter Sunday, 2,000 years ago, there was no church services where people wore pastel colors in their Sunday best. There was no brunch being prepared There was no baskets full of candy, no colorful eggs. Jesus is dead. Judas committed suicide. Let's lock our doors because one of us could be next. Happy Easter, everyone. Welcome to church. (laughs) The power of the resurrection only makes sense in the context of death darkness, despair, and disappointment. And that is how Easter Sunday begins. How did we get here? The disciples are left asking themselves. Just a week ago, it was Palm Sunday. They welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem with hosannas and palm branches. People were relying on him to be their savior, throwing down their jackets on the street so that the donkey that he rode on could walk on him. A week ago, how did we get here? Have you ever found yourself asking that question? How in the world did we get here? How did my marriage get here? How did my career get here? How did my physical health end up here? How did my emotional health end up here? How did our nation get here? How did my life get here? There are many answers that we could point to, to that question, how did Jesus end up on the cross? But when the Apostle John wrote his gospel that we have recorded in the Bible, He points to one specific decision that Jesus 
made in John chapter 11. If you have a Bible, you can open to John chapter 11. That's our teaching text for the day. If you don't own a Bible, I don't always say this, but if you don't own a Bible, just take one of ours, okay? It's not stealing. You can't steal a Bible from a church. It's always a gift. (laughs) And in John chapter 11, let me set the scene for you. Jesus and his disciples are in an undisclosed location. We might say they're off the grid. This is near the end of Christ's three-year public ministry, and not only has he gained quite a following, he's performed many miracles, he's taught many great teachings, but some of those teachings were incredibly controversial. It's almost like he's, he's talking like he's the son of God or something. And so the religious leaders of his day, not only were they jealous, not only were they upset with him, but in fact, rumors were going around that if he were to set foot in Judea, if he were to go back to Jerusalem, they would put him to death. And so Jesus and his disciples in John 11, they're off the grid, abiding by two simple rules. Don't go to Judea and don't do anything too spectacular. And all of a sudden, a message arrives from some of Jesus' closest friends, Mary and Martha. He often stayed with them at their house in the village of Bethany, which is just two miles away from Jerusalem. And the message was not a message of good news. It was a message of dire need. Lazarus, their brother, was sick. And they're inviting Jesus to come and do something about it. And an unexpected detail of the story is that Jesus receives this message and does nothing for two days. And it's only when Jesus is certain that Lazarus has died that he tells his disciples, let us go to Judea. This seems like a suicide mission. He didn't show up to heal Lazarus. I guess he just wants to attend the funeral. And this decision of Jesus to attend Lazarus' funeral is the decision that the Apostle John points to that would culminate in his own crucifixion. They arrive into Bethany Village, and Martha is the first to greet Jesus. She's been so busy with the funeral preparations. Maybe you found yourself in that position before the loss of a loved one, and someone has to book a venue, someone has to figure out what's uh, being prepared for food, someone has to welcome the dozens of guests coming to town to mourn the loss, and Martha finds herself in a place where perhaps she doesn't even have time to grieve herself because she's so preoccupied. We see Martha at other moments. She's the planner of the family. And she greets Jesus with this line, Hear the heartache in her voice. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's questioning, why? Why did it take you so long? Why didn't you come at once? He's been dead for four days by the time Jesus eventually would roll into town. And yet even now, Martha says, I believe that whatever you ask God, God will do. And they go into this theological conversation. Jesus promises that her brother will rise again. And she says, well, I know he'll rise again on the last day. And so now they're in a conversation about end times. 
And she has all these questions about what, he, what does he mean he will rise again? And Jesus doesn't correct her. He just expands her perspective on the truth. Look at this. In John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus has eternal life in himself. He has resurrection power in himself. And this declaration, this I am declaration, I am the resurrection, I am the life, means that he can gift those things to whomever he wills. If you believe in Jesus, you will live You will never die spiritually, even if you die physically. Not even death itself can break your relationship with God. And so here in this moment, this declaration of truth, Jesus gives the first of what I believe are three gifts that he brings with him to the funeral. The first gift is he brings truth for Martha. The gift of truth. She's struggling. Martha finds herself in a situation where life's most pressing questions, questions like, what happens after you die? She can no longer set those questions aside, but she is forced through her circumstance to wrestle with the uncomfortable questions of life itself. And so what does Jesus bring her? Her gift is the gift of truth. I am the resurrection and the life. And he answers her questioning by asking a question of his own. Do you believe this? And this is her response in John eleven twenty seven. And she said to him, this be- look at this beautiful confession. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. We've all got questions, don't we? There are moments that we can distract ourselves, keep ourselves too busy to really wrestle with life's most pressing questions, but eventually we cannot outrun these questions. We need truth just like Martha. And so I wanna ask you the same question that Jesus posed to her, do you believe? Do you believe, not only do you believe that what Jesus said was true, not only do you believe what's written in scripture, but do you believe in Jesus Christ himself? Not just do you believe this, but do you believe him? Do you believe he is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe he has power? Do you believe he can give that gift of life to whomever he wills? Do you believe? I wanna call you and invite you to believe in Jesus today. Martha goes from that conversation and fetches her sister Mary. Mary is still in the home weeping, just heartbroken. Maybe she knows that Jesus is in town, maybe she hasn't heard it yet, but she's there and she finds out Jesus has arrived and she goes to him at once. All of the family and the friends, they think she's going to the tomb where Lazarus' body is laid, and so they go with her, and so now there's a whole crowd of people coming to Christ, and Mary says the same statement word for word that her sister said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, 
my brother would not be dead. But there's a significant difference. Jesus does not meet this with a theological conversation. Mary collapses to Christ's feet. Some say in worship, but I believe a more simple interpretation is necessary. She collapses under the sheer weight of her grief and her heartbreak. What does Jesus do for Mary? In John eleven thirty three, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then John eleven thirty five, 35, the shortest verse in the English Bible, everyone said it, Jesus wept. It's a great memory verse. <laughs> Very easy to memorize. It's the shortest verse in the English Bible, and yet incredibly profound when we grasp what's going on here. This is the second gift that Jesus brings with him to this funeral. He brought truth for Martha and he brings tears for Mary. Tears for Mary. Scholars have debated, why does Jesus weep? What's the source of his tears? I mean, he already knows what he's there to do. It's not like the death of Lazarus has shaken him. He waited so that he could perform a greater miracle than healing. He already promised Martha, your brother will rise again a lot sooner than you think. So he knows what he's about to do, and yet his tears, I believe, are tears of compassion. Jesus is the perfect embodiment of what the Apostle Paul would later write about in Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. Sometimes people don't need a Bible verse out of context quoted to them. Sometimes they don't need a cliche Christian saying deep in their mourning and pain. Sometimes what we need most is his tears, is our Savior's heart. We've all got questions. We've also all got grief. We all have heartache. We all deal with the darkness and the despair and the pain. And I just think about Mary in that room. I don't know it, it, what's keeping her in that room. Maybe she feels like she has to compose herself to wipe the snot from her face and the tears from her cheeks in order to be presentable enough to come to Christ. But she doesn't receive the tears of Jesus until she's willing, willing to go out of the room. Here's what I wanna invite you to today. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. You might have that hesitancy. You've gotta clean up your act. You've gotta clean up your life. You've, you can't ugly cry in front of him, whatever it might be. You've gotta compose yourself. Come to Jesus. Bring him what you've got. Don't bring him what you think you should have. Don't bring him what you think he's looking for. Come to Jesus as you are and receive his heart for you. Receive his tears. Stop keeping Jesus at arm's length and bring him what you've got. It's the second gift Jesus brings to this funeral. Well, Jesus asks where they've laid Lazarus, and so the entire group goes to the tomb, and it's a first century tomb very typical for that time period. Different than our uh, burial procedures today, we tend to think of a grave as being down in the ground, covered with dirt. But this is actually more of a cave. 
in the rocks with a large stone rolled in front of it, a cave, a tomb, not unlike the tomb that Jesus would be laid in. And Jesus gives the command, roll that stone away. But Martha is hesitant. She's thinking of practical matter. She says, it's been four days. You ever smelled a dead body after four days? The King James Version says, he stinketh. (laughs) She's worried. She's worried about the odor. She's worried about the smell. And so she cautions Jesus. But you're not going to see the miracle unless you follow his command, unless you remove that stone. And so Jesus says, he looks back at Martha, do you want to see the glory of God on display? Do you want to see it? Or did you just want to hear my truth? Or do you want to experience something miraculous? And so they roll the stone away. And look at what it says in John 11, verse 41. So they took, this, they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you have sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus! Come out! There's a moment of silence where everyone's just waiting in anticipation. The stone is removed and there's the darkness of the grave. And then all of a sudden, light begins to emerge as Lazarus is alive, covered in the white linen burial cloths. Lazarus, come out of that grave. This is the third gift that Jesus brings to this very unconventional funeral. Life for Lazarus. Martha had a problem. The questions in her mind. Mary had a problem. The grief in her heart. Lazarus had a problem too. It's a body problem. (laughs) He was dead. And Jesus gives life to Lazarus. When Jesus says this statement, it's difficult to believe I know, I am the resurrection and the life. He substantiates that claim moments later. It's not a metaphor. It's not just a catchy teaching, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And he is calling you out of the grave. He's inviting you to receive his life. Jesus will say that same statement on the last day when he returns. Come out of the grave and all will hear his voice. Look at what he says. This is his teaching, John 5, 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming. Jesus is coming back and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Would you hear that line, come out of the grave, and substitute your name right there? Not Lazarus, come out of the grave. Think of your name, Jesus calling you by name. Here's the point. You can receive this third gift today. Come out of the grave. Come out of the grave. Come to Jesus. Receive his life. He's the only one with the power to give it. Receive his resurrection. Receive his eternal life. If you're alive in Christ, you've already received him as Lord and Savior. I have this word for you today. Take off the burial clothes. For some of you, you've, you've received, you're, you're back to life. You want to know the first command that Jesus gives after Lazarus comes out of the tomb? This man needs a change of clothes. 
Martha's right, he stinketh. You don't need to smell like death anymore if you're in Christ. You don't dress the same, you're not wearing the same shackles to sin and death and grave. Put on the new self in Christ today. If you're alive in Christ, live like it. Come out of the grave, receive his robes of righteousness and live like it, church. It's a beautiful miracle. And yet, the resurrection of Lazarus is not what we're celebrating today. See, if this was just an isolated miracle, then all of us would still be dead in our trespasses and sins. Lazarus had the unique experience to be physically raised back to life, but he also would go through the unique experience to die again. Do you recognize this? See, the miracle of Lazarus' resurrection was really just an extension of his earthly life. But if not for a greater resurrection, he would still be hopeless for all of eternity. So we've got to get back to the good news of Easter Sunday, don't we? You back there in the room, the locked doors, remember darkness, despair, death, no Easter eggs yet, no pastel colors. The disciples are there, and all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door. It's Mary Magdalene. She's been to the tomb early that day. It's empty. The body is removed, and they're still trying to, to make sense of it. Did someone take the body? Is, is, this a, is this some kind of cruel joke? Haven't we suffered enough? Some of the disciples with a better memory start thinking, wait, didn't Jesus prophesy something about a third day? S- something, I don't, I don't rem- we seem to forget about this in our grief, in our suffering, in our pain. We've sat in despair all day Saturday, and here we are, and, and now things are, are turning upside down. God is on the move, he's doing something. Peter and John, they rush to the grave to find it's just as Mary said. There's reports coming in the rest of the day where different people see Jesus. They met him, they touched him. He's alive in his body. And by the end of the day, not even the locked door of despair can keep the resurrected Savior out. Amen? Amen. He is risen from the dead, just as he said. In victory over sin, death, and the devil. And I just wanna encourage you with this passage from 1 John, that same Apostle John, who not only witnessed the death of Jesus on the cross, but witnessed him raised back to life. 1 John 5, 11 and 12, and this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life, where do we find it? This life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son does not have life. And so I just wanna invite you one last time, if you're here and you don't yet have a faith in Jesus, if you don't have the Son of God, you don't have eternal life, but if you have the Son, the good news of the resurrection of Jesus, is he is the resurrection of the life, and if you have Jesus, you have that life. Jesus prays before Lazarus is raised from the dead, and he says in that prayer, I'm saying these things for the benefit of the witnesses. That's not only the crowd who witnessed the events, but it's also who? Us. He says, Father, you always hear my prayers. And I wanna tell you today, a prayer that God is always willing to hear from you is a prayer of repentance. 
A prayer where you go to God and you say, listen, I know that I'm dead in my, in my sins. Would you raise me up to life? Today can be the day that you say that prayer, that initial prayer of faith, and you ask God to forgive your sin and lead your life. You can receive Jesus. You can receive forgiveness. You can receive salvation. You can receive sanctification. You can receive eternal life. You can receive hope for eternity. You can receive a joy and a joy to the full today. Would you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? He will hear your prayer. Pray today and ask God to forgive your sin and lead your life. And when you do, when you have Jesus and you have life, what we have to recognize is the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. New Testament scholar D.A. Carson says it like this, you are not suffering from anything that a good resurrection can't fix. <laughs> I love that line. You're go- whatever you're going through, you know what you need? You need a good dose of resurrection in your life. And I say that because I recognize that even if you have eternal life, and even if in Jesus' promise, those who believe in me will live even though they die. Jesus understands in this world we still face trials, even as followers of Christ. He understands that that we'll still encounter death despair and darkness, but you're not suffering from anything that a good resurrection can't fix. And there's some of you in this room who you're saved, you have life in Christ. Maybe, maybe you're still hanging on to those grave clothes or maybe you've just forgotten the power of the resurrection and how it changes everything. There's a member of our church named Nathan York who last year was diagnosed with bile duct cancer. And uh, I see all the prayer requests that come in. A lot of people struggling, a lot of people hurting, a lot of people dealing with despair. And it's difficult. It's difficult to deal with those trials and those situations. And yet as I've watched Nate, his wife Shara, and their family walk through cancer itself, you can tell there's a difference that the resurrection of Jesus has made on their family. And uh, we're gonna get to watch a video story uh, produced by Vantage Videos, and you can actually watch the full edit. We're not even gonna watch the whole video. We're gonna see a a portion of Nate's story and how the resurrection of Jesus has changed his perspective in facing the situation. As you watch this video, I just wanna encourage you with this one question. What do you need from Jesus today? Easter Sunday, 2023. What problem are you dealing with? What's most pressing for you today? Is it those questions, the doubts, the deconstruction, the disillusionment with the church or with religion in general? Do you need his truth? Are you dealing with pain? Are you dealing with the problem of the heart? Are you dealing with heartbreak and heartache? Do you need his tears? Or are you dealing with death? Do you need his life? So here, here I am this morning, uh, March 6th. I am getting ready to go in for my PET CT scan. It's a big moment. Um, I wasn't sure last summer uh, initially, they said that 
I wouldn't be alive at this point. Uh, a lot hinges on this, so we'll see. I'd always kind of viewed God as just tolerating me. I felt almost like, you know, when I, when I die and like you go to, you know, heaven or however you want to describe it, like that God would be like, okay, I'll let you in, but only because I have to. Like, don't touch anything, you'll mess everything up. And one of the things that I remember specifically is the, the pastor wrote on the board this thing. He said, God delights in you. No, he doesn't. Like, where are you getting that? And I was actually a little bit upset about it. But that phrase just kept repeating in my mind. God delights in you. One of the hospitals I was at, there was a, like a crucifix in the room with Jesus on the cross. And I remember being in a lot of pain looking at that and just recognizing, God, you, you experienced suffering. You know what this is like. Jesus on the cross is the full expression of God's love, right? He's not afraid of the messiness of humanity, but he actually is willing to enter into that messiness and actually you know, experience suffering and experiencing death even. And he's willing to do that because of his love. The things that I really love doing in life, like the outdoor stuff, backpacking, biking, skiing, it really hit me that I may never do those things again. Those things actually aren't that important. The relationship with people and, and those connections that actually are the most important. I see my purpose as, as loving others. That's what I think it means to follow Jesus, to be a Christian. And so I've been very intentional the past uh, few months of mentoring more young men really want these men to experience that God is love. God doesn't just tolerate you, God loves you. And that changes everything. And so one of the guys that I started mentoring, um, he lost his mom when he was 10, which is the, the age of uh, my youngest daughter. That relationship has been a blessing to me to see that God used that in his life and that he was able to you know, get through that grief and actually grow. God has said to me just quietly as I've, as I've questioned him, as I've argued with him, Shara, I've been so gracious to you, haven't I? Yes, Lord, you've been so gracious to me. So even if we find out what we don't want to hear, how gracious of God that we get time to plan and get things in order. God is good in ways that we don't always see. And I may never understand why I got this kind of cancer. And if I die young from this, we may never know why. But I'm just confident that God is good. What that means isn't necessarily that 
I get what I want, but that my life and my suffering has meaning beyond just me. God will use this for a bigger purpose somehow. Was a uh, just finished an appointment with an oncologist, and that was a really good appointment. Um, he used the word uh, remission uh, or cancer-free. I'm not going to get too excited about it, but this is definitely a blessing and uh, something that I will take. Uh, it's good. So, okay. Can we celebrate that? Amen. Cancer feet. Praise God. And with that, let's stand together. Let's sing his Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.